Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. All right. Well, in 1965, Mick Jagger came out with a song called Satisfied. And it goes somewhat like this, the chorus, I can't get no satisfaction. Excuse me. The title was Satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no. I can't get no. I can't get no. No. But anyway, when asked why did he write this song, this is what he said, and I quote, Satisfaction was my view of the world, my frustration with everything, disgust with America, its advertising syndrome, the constant barrage. That's what he said. So he couldn't find any satisfaction. And so we, we also know that in the musical Hamilton, there was a song that had in its lyrics satisfaction. And it said this, be satisfied, satisfied, satisfied. And I know, be satisfied, be satisfied, be satisfied. She'll be happy as his bride. Satisfied, satisfied, satisfied. And I know, be satisfied, 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 satisfied. He will never be satisfied. I will never be satisfied. So here they sing in a song about being satisfied, and they realize that they will never be satisfied. And then, if you notice, I have a Snickers bag up here. All right? And uh, I thought I'd bring in some, and I wanted to, wanted to throw out some. You know? Right, right. All right, okay. I, I thought I'd bring you some Snickers. Oh, way back there. All right, all right. There you go. Anyway, this is what it says. Many Snickers, maximum satisfaction. Now, did any of y'all ever notice that on the bag? Now, if you eat a Snicker, I bet you it won't be maximum satisfaction. But that's what it says on the bag, right? Well, when we look across every area of life, we realize that people are looking for satisfaction. Even retailers. Retailers want their customers to be satisfied. And so what do they offer? They actually offer customer satisfaction. And what are they looking for? They want you to keep coming back. They want you to keep coming back for their service, for their products, because they know that if you keep coming back and you're satisfied, they're making money from you. That's how it works. So if they can keep you satisfied, guess what? They're going to be satisfied. That's what retailers do. And what, when we look for satisfaction, 
from a retailer, what, what's implied there is a trust level. In other words, here's what it is. You're looking for a food product to be fresh and flavorful. You're looking for a replacement part to fit properly, aren't you, when you have to get a part for something. You're looking for a toy to perform the way that it should because you saw it on the commercial. So you want it to perform the way that it's advertised. That brings about satisfaction, quote, unquote. Well, we realize that in life, it doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't matter how we chase things down. It doesn't matter the products that we buy. We, we want to be satisfied, but we're not fully satisfied. There's only one way that we can get true satisfaction, and that is through Christ. It's in the life of Christ that we are actually guaranteed to have lifetime satisfaction. Now, did you hear that word? Guaranteed. That's an amazing word to use. And retailers use that all the time. They guarantee something. Well, what does a guarantee do? A guarantee says that if it doesn't work, we will replace it or we will fix it. Now, if you recall some of us who are older, who are aware of Sears and Robux, they don't exist now, I don't believe. But if you would buy a tool at Sears and Robux, they would guarantee that tool forever, for life. So that means that it could be 20 years later, you could be using a shovel. And that shovel break, you could take that shovel back to Sears, hand it to them, and guess what they will do? They will give you a new shovel. So if it's old and raggedy and you think, well, I need a new shovel right now, and you break it intentionally, you can take it to Sears, and guess what? They will give you a new shovel. That was a lifetime guarantee. That's as close as that I could come to uh, ever looking at a guarantee being lifetime like that. Sears. Well, God has something better than that. He has satisfaction that we can gain not only here, but for later. Now, if you recall, Ricky gave, Pastor Ricky gave a, a um, definition of satisfaction, and this is what it was. It was contentment grounded in God's unchanging character and goodness, which produces a spiritual hunger and a thirst for more of him. Not merely his good gifts. It is not complacency, but informed joy in Jesus. That was the definition. Now, now look at that word satisfaction. Contentment, pleasure, gratification, fulfillment, joy. You can plug in any of those synonyms and, and it works. God wants us to have pure joy in our lives. Now, in week one, we heard Pastor Ricky talk about satisfaction. He started it off, and what did he say? He said that satisfaction is a soul issue. That satisfaction can only be gained if you deal with the soul, and that's what God deals with. 
The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. So if you can gain satisfaction in all those three areas of your life, guess what? You have true satisfaction. And then in week two, Pastor Ricky came and he said, there's pathways to joy, discipline, and delight. And he gave us seven ways on how to get there. He laid out the pathways. And the main thing he said was this, satisfaction must be cultivated. It must be cultivated. You got to intentionally go after it. You got to intentionally be digging for it. Just like when you, this garden out here, there's people who have gardens out here. Well, guess what? Before they planted anything, they had to cultivate it. They had to rip out the weeds, and then they had to make sure that everything was out and that the ground was absolutely clear, and then they planted what they need to, might have added some fertilizer or whatever, but they had to cultivate it. They had to dig it up. Well, there's a lot of stuff in our lives that need to be dug up. And how is it dug up? It's dug up because of the presence of the Holy Spirit that will bring it to light as you get in the word with him. That's what he does. He bring things, brings things to light through the Holy Spirit as you spend time with him. So you got to cultivate those pathways in order to find true satisfaction. And then last week, we heard Pastor Ray come. And what did he say? He said, well... We can gain satisfaction through service and sacrifice. Service and sacrifice. And, and that means what? That means that serving others brings us joy. You might not think so, do you? Because sometimes you just don't feel like serving others. But in reality, the way that God has designed us, he designed us to serve one another. Isn't that what Jesus said Jesus says I have come to serve and as Christ followers we follow him and if he's the chief servant then that means we are to become servants like Jesus it was through his serving that brought the father joy Jesus constantly was focusing on pleasing the father and how did he do that by being in the Father's will, by being obedient to the Father, by doing what the Father wanted him to do. See, that's all we have to do. If we follow Jesus and what he does, we're going to have the fulfillment of being satisfied. Okay? So then, where does that bring us today? It brings us to satisfaction is fully realized. Satisfaction is fully realized. And how does that happen? It comes by way of the bridegroom. Satisfaction comes by way of the bridegroom. Now, let's look at the scripture. As we look at our scripture today, the first one, Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Join with me in looking at it. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. And I'm only going to actually read verse 1 through 5 here. Okay? So then it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. 
prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Who is saying this? Yes, John has penned it down, but it's Jesus who is speaking this. And Jesus is saying, I want to, I want to show you something, John. I want to show you this new Jerusalem that is going to come down. Now, notice the description. Like a bride prepared, dressed for her husband. Hmm. Before I go there, notice there's three Jerusalems in the scripture. We see the, the Jerusalem that was where David dwelled, right? The city of David. We also know future-wise that there's going to be a Jerusalem during a millennial reign. And then here we see that there's a new Jerusalem that's going to be the capital city of the new heaven and the new earth. And when we look at the description, it ties directly into marriage. Look at the Old Testament. You have, <laughs> look at the Old Testament. What do you see there? You see Adam and Eve, don't you? That is the first marriage. God performed the ceremony. In that marriage, we see that God has taken, he created a man and a woman, and he brought them together, and they were married in the garden. Fast forward, New Testament. Jesus performs his first miracle at a wedding. Jesus starts his ministry around married people at a wedding. And now here, and actually before we get to 21, in chapter 19 of Revelation, there's the marriage feast of the Lamb. The marriage feast of the Lamb is where Jesus has, gets married, where there's the, the feast, where's the big party with his people, with the ones that he loved, with the bride, which is us. And so we see here that, G, that God starts the beginning of humanity with the marriage, in the middle with Jesus, he starts ministry, God himself in the midst of it at a marriage, and then at the end, we see that Jesus ends everything with the marriage. Hmm. So marriage must be important. It's amazing that when you look at the scripture, 36 verses has to do with God being married to his people. When we look at Jesus... 15 verses in the New Testament has to do with Jesus being married to the bride. When we look at the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, what does he write? He writes, and what does he do? He uses a radical analogy 
That's what marriage is. He's using a radical analogy that expands how we should understand marriage. And what does he say? He says, listen, husbands, I want you to love your wives as Christ loves the church. And wives, uh uh-oh, I want you to submit to your husbands. Now, I'm not going to get into all that. That's not the purpose of this message. But I want you to know that what Paul was alluding to is that the earthly marriage, when lived in Christ, is able to bring about satisfaction and provides a glimpse of ultimate satisfaction. Wow. You mean to tell me when we look at a marriage, if it's genuinely in Christ, we see a glimpse of what we get later? That's exactly what I'm saying. Notice what he compares this to. He gives him a vision of the bride coming down. It says it looks like a bride. But guess what? It is the bride. The bride is there. The bride is in the New Jerusalem. The bride is with Jesus. So this is this married couple, Jesus and his church, that's coming down to have their, to experience life in a new place that he has prepared. Oh, man, that's, that's exciting to me. I don't know about y'all, but that just, oh, wow. Now, now guess what? I got to show you something here because it blew my mind. When we look at Jewish marriage, there were three stages to Jewish marriage. The first stage was known as the betrothal stage. I hope I said that right. I get, kind of get tongue twisted with that word. But it merely means engagement. So how did this work? Well, most of the time, probably all of the time, what would happen is that this young man would come over to the one who he is looking to be his wife. He would come over to the house And he would bring a covenant or a contract. He would bring this contract and present this contract or this covenant to not only the wife but the father. Because he had to pay a dowry. He had to pay a price to get her. Wouldn't that be interesting to do that today? Hmm. I'm going to get married to Beverly. And her husband and her father says, well, that's going to cost you uh, $20,000. Well, that's kind of like how it was. She's worth more than that. Um, but, but, but that's kind of how it was. So, so they had to pay a, a dowry. Now, what would happen was she could turn it down. Well, how did he know if she would accept it? Here's what would happen. He would pour a glass of wine, which represent a blood covenant. He would pour a glass of wine, and if she would drink it, That would be the beginning of the engagement. And so once they got engaged, what would happen? Well, he would go off, and he would be at the father's house, and he would build an addition. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? He would build an addition on the father's house. That's what they did. And it would take him about a year to do that. And so while she was at home, he was working at the house, building an addition on the father's house. And while she was at her place, here's what she was doing. She was preparing to receive the bridegroom. 
In that preparation, she would keep a lamp filled with oil on her nightstand, if I can use that term, next to her bed. She would also would she also would wear a veil, so when she went out in public, everybody would know that she was taken. She was engaged. So they didn't have a ring. She would be wearing a veil. And, and then what would happen? She would, by the way, let me say this too, the bridesmaids would also have to be ready. They would keep a, oil, a lamp filled with oil where they lived too because no one knew when the bridegroom was going to show up. So a year later, when the bridegroom would show up, Now, who determines when the bridegroom is to come? The father. This is absolutely crazy. The father would determine when it was time for his son, who was going to be the bridegroom, to go and now get his wife. When that would happen, she had to be ready. So when he would show up, She would grab her lamp, grab her veil, her bridesmaids would all leave, and then they would go off and they would have a party for seven days and then they would have the ceremony. Now think about that. This is a Jewish marriage. Well, what does God do? God pays a dowry. Well, how did he pay it? He paid it at the cross through his son who he sent to the cross to pay for our sin, which is the shedding of blood. And so that was purchased, or we were purchased through the shedding of blood. That was the beginning of the engagement for all the believers. So that the believers in Christ are now engaged to Jesus. Jesus is our bridegroom. So we are married to him. So right now, we are in the midst of being prepared as a bride, waiting for the bridegroom to show up. Now, doesn't the scripture in John chapter 14 let us know what Jesus is doing? Jesus tells his disciples that I am going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to my father's house. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. Look at the parallel. I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for my bride, who is the church, so that when when the father sends Jesus, because Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back, the father is going to send him, but we as the church, we need to be ready. And how in the midst of being ready, what are we doing to get ready? Well, there's things we're supposed to be doing, right? So did I tell you what my first point was? Oh, my goodness. My first point is satisfaction will be permanent. Satisfaction will be permanent. And what I just described to you provides the permanency of that satisfaction because of the presence of Christ in our life right now. Jesus expects us to be waiting. We should be waiting for Jesus. In waiting, what are we doing? We are longing for him to come. I don't want to jump ahead, but that's what we're doing. So Jesus is going to have for us a new place to live. He's preparing a place for his bride. And that's what we see in Revelation, in that big picture in Revelation 21. 
Notice what he says. He says, there's going to be no more negative stuff. Why? Because there won't be the presence of sin. See, the reality, we have to deal with ungodliness. We have to deal with evil. We have to deal with suffering. We have to deal with pain. We have to deal with corruption. We have to deal with temptation right now. We have to deal with diseases and disasters and destruction and decay and death. We have to deal with all that right now. But in the New Jerusalem, that's going to be all gone because it's going to be absolutely perfect. Why? Because there won't be the presence of sin anymore. That's what the bridegroom has prepared for us. So what would it be like being in the midst of this? Well, guess what? We can enjoy fellowship with our bridegroom. We, we, we can see God all the time. We be able to worship him all the time. We will be in the presence of our bridegroom all the time. That is absolute pure satisfaction. Now, if I were to ask you how many wives out there do you love to be with your husbands all the time, what would you say? <laughs> Most of them would say, I love to be with my husband, but I have to have some freedom at some point. That's the reality, right? But when we're with Jesus, that will not be part of our thinking. Why, why is it part of our thinking now? See, when we look at what true satisfaction is, it has to do with our mindset. God wants us to change our mindset. And so that moves, I have to move to our next point. And our next point is this. Satisfaction is for now and later. Satisfaction is for now and later? Yes. See, in a marriage, there are benefits. There are benefits right now. Well, what are some of them? Well, we have companionship, right? We have companionship. We have acceptance. We have stability. We have financial, a lot of times, stability. We have, it's a family unit. Of course, there's, there's the, the physical aspect of the relationship, and we can grow in our faith together as a couple. That's part of a marriage now. But then there's the benefits later. What happens after a spouse dies? Well, in most cases, the spouse should be leaving a will, right? There should be some kind of financial stability. That's why they have insurance. But that doesn't kick in until a person is now who, is now who has now passed away. So there's the benefits that come after the person dies. Well, when you look at those benefits, there's benefits to marriage right now, and there's benefits to marriage later. Well, in the scripture, we, we're able to look at Colossians right quick. And in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, this is what it says. Since then you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Look at what this is. 
So because of Jesus, Jesus died. When Jesus died, we were right there with him. When Jesus died, we died in Jesus. So when we begin to understand that and unpack that, we are also risen with him. We have conquered death. We have been raised in new life. See, these are the things that our minds need to be occupying, something that God has given us the ability to do right now. He tells us that we are seated in heavenly places. Being seated in a heavenly place means that I have access to everything in the kingdom of God that I need to live this life. The question is, am I actually using those things that God has given me to use. And how do I find them? I find them in the word. I find them in the word. See, the other thing that it says here is this. It lets us know that we are to seek heavenly things. Those things that are in heaven, we are to set our affections or our mind on, not on things on the earth, but on things that are in heaven. That means I need to be longing for something. I need to be longing. Notice what the, bride, what the bride is doing. The bride is preparing. She's getting beautiful for her husband to come. The church is to get beautiful to receive the bridegroom. How do we get beautiful? We are to be longing for our bridegroom. Well, Crawford, when you say longing for, what are we longing for? We are to be longing for this. We are to be longing that Jesus will come, but in the midst of longing for that, what does that do? That produces in us a character that is now becoming valuable to the bridegroom. Why? Because when I'm focusing on him, that means I'm changing in him when I allow what he's telling me to do and I do it. So I am now being transformed. Jesus is able to prepare me to receive him. Whoa. That's what he does. He's not absent. The bridegroom is preparing the bride so that he can receive the bride. What does, what does Paul say? That we are to be doing what with our wives as husbands? We are to be increasing their value. Well, how do we do that? We are to love them and cherish them. We are nourishing them. That's what the word means. The cherish means to nourish. So how do we nourish our, our wives? That's the responsibility of the husband. That's what Jesus does with us. See the picture? Nourishing is serving. What does that mean? I want to let my wife walk all over me? That's not what it says. It's talking about attitude. It's an attitude of serving. And as I serve my wife, what's taking place? As I'm serving my wife, I'm being Jesus. That's what he's calling me to be as a husband. See, the reality is when we're loving that way, they are going to respond because God has created in them a response mechanism to love. He does not tell the wife to love. What you talk about, Crawford? 
He doesn't give her that command. He gives the man that command. We ought to love them because they are natural responders. So if we're loving them like Jesus, then we are changing. And they are changing because of the love that we're giving them. I have to get this point out. It says that we are hidden in Christ in God. Well, what does that mean? Well, I got three cups up here. All right. Here's God. Here's me. Here's y'all. Right? You're in God. Here's Christ. How are you going to get out of that? You are hidden in Christ in God. That's what the scripture says. There's no way I can take myself out of that. I'm protected by Christ. Because when God looks at me, he's looking at Christ over the top of me. That's how it works. And when I'm hid like that, that should give me what I need to do what God is telling me to do. Knowing the fact that I am in him and that I'm protected. My final point, and I'm going to get out your way. Satisfaction is promised. Well, in Isaiah, what does it say? In Isaiah, it said that, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. That's what it says. Well, notice what Revelation says. Revelation, verse 6 and 7 says this. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. From the very beginning of the series, what did we hear in Isaiah? Come, because I will provide satisfaction. And what do we see here at the end of Revelation? It says the same thing. Those who are thirsty, come. I will provide satisfaction. We have everything that we need, y'all. Everything that we need. God has an awesome plan for our lives. All we have to do is believe it and walk in it. And we will be satisfied. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have designed a plan for us of satisfaction in your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, that we can have it now and we can look forward to what we have later, knowing that you have provided for us everything that we are in need of. Lord, let us be excited about that as we long for you to be in your presence literally. We thank you and we praise you. We thank you for our marriage with Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song together in response. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at rocksboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.